You are now listening to the Motivational Jumpstart. Motivational Jumpstart. Motivational Jumpstart. You are now listening to the Motivational Jumpstart. Motivational Jumpstart right here on WHUS Stores. All right. Welcome back to the Motivational Jumpstart right here on WHUS Stores 91.7 FM. Wow, I'm excited. I'm excited. Incredible people out there because I have a phenomenal, phenomenal guest that that uh, uh, has called in. I mean, just a just a legend within our own regard. Uh, author now. I mean, just just so many major moves and things. And like you, you always know that I like to do. I like to bring incredible content, incredible individuals who can tell their truth, tell their story to inspire everybody out there to continue to take action and to become the best version of yourself. So without further ado, without further ado, well, I'm gonna just do a quick check, you know, just to make sure everything is is, is good. Is is our lovely caller on the line? Yes, I am. Absolutely. So uh, before before I get into this, Nicole, let me just introduce you the right way, if, if that's okay with you. Sounds good. All right. Awesome. 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 Well, to my 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 listeners out there all across the country, uh, Miss Nicole Blades is a novelist and journalist who has been putting her stories on paper since the third grade. Born and raised in Montreal, Quebec by Caribbean parents, Nicole moved to NYC, New York City, and launched her journalism career working at Essence Magazine. You all know Essence. That's a big deal. She later co-founded the online magazine She Networks and worked as an editor at ESPN and Women's Health. Her features and essays have appeared in more magazine, Cosmopolitan, NewYorkTimes.com, WashingtonPost.com, MarieClaire.com, BuzzFeed, Self, and Blog Her. Nicole has been a speaker and panelist at Blog Her and MA Conference for Women. She also has created Miss Mary Mack, a blog that aims to bring compassion and common sense back to parenthood. Amen to that, Nicole. <laughs> uh, Nicole lives in Connecticut with her husband and their son, and she is the author of the thunder beneath us. Without further ado, an incredible, incredible guest, Miss Nicole Blades. How you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Listen, listen. I always say, and I, I, I love to tell my listeners out there. You know, my big cousin Google tells tells stories. <laughs> my my cousin Google tells stories, and and we could have been here all day, but I know for the essence of time, we had to condense this lovely bio. But I was just, I was, I was awestruck by just reading just so many of the incredible things that you have done. So definitely kudos to you. Uh, but. Uh, like we like to do on the show, Nicole, the first thing I like to ask my guests is tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what makes you come alive. What inspires you? Oh, goodness. That's a big one. Yes, um, yes. Well, uh, a little bit about me. Yes, you did a great intro about uh, my career. I've been a journalist for a long time. I'm a writer. I've got uh, my second book, The Thunder Beneath Us, just came out in the fall of last year. And I've got another book coming out, another novel coming out the fall of this year, November 2017. Awesome. I am a mother and a wife and a runner and a thinker. <laughs> so uh-huh. what makes me come alive? Oh, goodness, there's so many things. Curiosity, my son, my son's curiosity, um, wanting to know more about people, the world, our place in it. All of those things. I think curiosity is a big driving force for me. It makes makes me want to tell stories or find out the answers to questions that I have. Yeah, for uh, sure. Awesome, awesome. So, what's your what's your story? What's a little bit of your story? If you take the listeners back, you know, I, I mean, noticing that that you were born in in, in Canada and then mm-hmm. you you all uh, moved to New York City. So, mm-hmm. kind of, what was that story like? And, and what's a little bit of your backstory? 
Well, yeah, I'm Canadian. I grew up born and raised in Montreal, and mm. I was there. I went to college there. We call it university. I went uh-huh. to uh, college there, and um, shortly after that, I decided that, well, while I was in college, I decided that I wanted to pursue journalism in a real way. And for me, uh, for a lot of people, it was, well, where do you need to go to do that? And New York City was the mecca. It still is in a lot of ways. So I said, you know what, if I want to get into media in a real sense, I need to move where it's happening. I need to be in the room where it happens. So I moved to New York City, and uh, I ended up getting a job in public relations, which was kind of my... um, my way in, but it was my way in because I didn't have the confidence at the time to say, like, I just want to, I want to write. I want to, I want to be the writer. So I figured, like, okay, this is a way into media, and it's still telling stories, and it's still writing, although it's not necessarily things that you've created on your own or stories that you've dreamed up in your own, um, your, mo- your own mind. So I ended up working um, for a talk show and working PR, and I just didn't like it. It was not my speed, not my style. And just so happened that one of the makeup artists for the host of the show said to me, you know, she asked me one day, you know, what do you really want to do? And it was that moment that I said, let me just speak on it and just tell my truth. And I said, I want to write. I want to be a writer. And she said, you know, I just so happened to know that Essence Magazine is looking for an editorial assistant. So why don't you, you know, she made the, sort of like put the little connections for me together, and I sent my resume in, went in for the interview, a couple rounds of interviews, and got the job. So I ended up, that was my first real job at a magazine, and my first real job as a journalist. I was the editorial assistant for the fashion and beauty department at Essence, which was and is still a fantastic department to work for. I mean, you see so many wonderful things. And I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I met then. And that was like decades ago. I wanted to age myself too much. but (laughs) (laughs) I'm still really uh, good friends with a lot of the people that I I met there. And I mean, it was an opportunity to also, you know, fuel some of my stories because I met so many characters in New York and and in the magazine industry in in itself. you, You just meet a lot of characters. No, absolutely. And, and and I think it's just powerful just within that experience. So just talk about, I mean, outside of knowing that and just having that 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 moral conviction and just that 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 curiosity that you spoke about to say, you know what, I'm in Canada, you know, I'm I'm, I'm at a university, I'm doing this, but this is something I see something bigger for myself. In, and this is what I've heard about New York City. And I've heard about this is where a lot of, you know, uh, movers and shakers are. So I just want to relocate and, and go into a city with to individuals who have not been in New York City. New York City is definitely a city that does not sleep. You know, so was that intimidating for you? Like, what was that 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 initial experience for you? Especially being young, being vibrant, you know, at the time and doing all of these different things and saying, "Wow, like I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out my my social identity, where I fit in the world." But I have these curiosities, you know. So speak a little bit about that, and then just the impact of being in New York City. Well, I got to tell you, being young was sort of what helped me make that move because mm-hmm. I think as we get older, we get a little bit more. Uh, comfortable, a little bit more timid about taking risks and taking chances and taking leaps. So being young was an asset at that time because I had less to lose in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I didn't have anyone depending on me. There was no real 
um, heavy-duty responsibilities on my back. So I was able to just move a little bit freer. And so making the move to New York felt like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And it just felt, you know, invigorating. And it felt like the thing that I needed to do. And like I said, you know, being young, you just feel a little bit, um, you're less risk averse. You're a little bit Mm -hmm. more running into the fire instead of running away from it. Of course. And um, and it, it turned out to be a really excellent experience. I mean, I think if I had not done that, I don't know where I would be today. And moving to New York City is, it's not easy. I mean, even now, it might be even harder now. There's just a lot happening all the time. As you said, the city doesn't sleep, and that's a re- is true. There's a lot happening all the time, and in certain industries where that's the capital, like media and theater and music, there's just so much going on there that it's easy to sort of fall on, into the, in, on the wayside a little bit and feel a little bit like you can't compete and feel less than and start judging yourself and um, competing with things that you really have no business competing with, or people that their careers are, you know, comparing your, comp- your career or where you are with somebody else who's much farther ahead, much further ahead in, in, in life. And I think New York can be really hard on someone's psyche and their own sort of sense of identity because it's hard to find your place if you're not really, really strong and really secure in it going in. And for me, to be really honest with you, I was my first tour of duty, I like to say, in New York <laughs> only lasted three years because I was working there and everything was great, but then I started to feel that pressure of like, you know, I'm not, I'm not far enough ahead or I, I'm not doing this yet or, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not using my opportunities the best I can and started being really hard on myself. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty, um, uh, what's the word? <laughs> uh, I don't want to say stubborn because that's not necessarily true. <laughs> I am a, I'm a pretty determined person and very ambitious. And I think that there's a double-edged sword to being ambitious. And the other edge of the sword is that you're really hard on yourself and you start, sometimes you become your, your own worst enemy or you become your own um, sort of hurdle or block in the road because you're constantly just not taking a minute to say like, hey, I just did this and that's pretty good. You're not giving yourself the pats on the back and you're, you're constantly striving for more and you should be doing this and there's a lot of should, should, should. You're shooting on yourself all uh-huh, the time. Absolutely. And um, so I think by the end of the third year, I start to feel like, oh, this is just, I'm not going to, this is not working for me. I'm not doing well enough here. So I ended up taking a vacation that I had not, I had not taken a vacation in forever at the time. And I went to Barbados. My parents are from Barbados. Okay. And I ended up going to Barbados and I was supposed to go for like 10 days or something. And I ended up extending that trip to like two and a half weeks. And I was just really into that moment of feeling um, not relaxed, but feeling less the pressure valve sort of releasing. And feeling a little bit more, uh, less hectic and breakneck speed of New York and feeling like I can just kind of breathe a bit. And I ended up moving to Barbados for just under two years. I got a job working as a reporter for one of the newspapers there called The Nation. And that was also a great experience because it was just the other side of New York City. I mean, I was still working towards my goal of, you know, 
being in journalism and being a journalist, being a working journalist. So I was doing that, but it was in a different environment that was a little bit more forgiving, a little bit less pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, there was definitely, you know, competition and you, you got to do your job, you got to do it well, but there was, there was a little layer, uh, there was a layer of that missing that helped me sort of just ground myself a little bit more, feel a little bit more settled in this identity of writer, journalist, uh, you know, storyteller. So I think New York was great, but it was also, it had its sort of, you know, prickly edges <laughs> that, right, I, that's well that I had to, right come, to yeah. come to grips with. And then uh, moving to Barbados helped me sort of get a better perspective on all of that as well. So taking that, that pause or taking that break from the, uh, the speed and pace of New York helped me as well. No, that is awesome. That's awesome, and I, and I have a lot of uh, a journalists that I that I advertise towards as it relates to to, to uh, who are listening out there. So just that experience, and I think a lot of times we sometimes because of the competitive nature of just the culture that we are all being bred in, you know, and wanting to have high expectations for ourselves, but then also understanding the re- the reality and the rigors of competition and other individual skills, and sometimes you know, uh, 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 timing is everything, right? Timing literally mm-hmm. is everything. So mm-hmm. if you just if we just park it a little bit, kind of when you were saying, okay, it's three years, you're your first tour of duty, and, <laughs> and, and, and you're handling your business, and, and you, you, you got the opportunity, and you're flourishing a bit, but then, you know, it's, it's easy to start seeing, like, wow, okay, if I'm just an editor here, or if I'm on just this, on, 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 on focusing on this aspect, but I see, you know, Susan over here, no <laughs> no offense to any Susans out there listening, <laughs> but, you know, Susan, or, or, or Bob, or, or whoever, you know, wow, they're there you know two years ahead of me as it relates to where they might be or mm-hmm. they just landed that big you know editorial piece or they got the that that inside cover or or that mm-hmm. that front page post and mm-hmm. navigating that but also like dealing with that like how how did it how did you outside of the com- the, the the competitive nature still ground yourself and say you know what even though i'm frustrated or i'm just i'm just filled with all this energy you know timing you know, timing is, is, is also everything within these industries, because I know a lot of a lot of my listeners struggle with that. It's just like, wow, I feel like I should be further ahead. You know, mm-hmm. and I think me being from Louisiana and I moved to the East Coast. Right. They say the East Coast is the Beast Coast and you move <laughs> and, and, and you go to New York City and not realize, wow, there's there's been people who who moved to New York and are still, you know, starving artists, as they call mm-hmm. them, been there for 10 years, still trying mm-hmm. to get that one break. And I thought, hey, I'm, I'm Mr. Louisiana. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do big things in like a month and a half, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so speak just a little bit about that, just the pros and cons, but then also just that internal battle of like, wow, I, I mean, timing is everything, but also it's it's a real fight in, 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 in to, to get better, to, to realize certain opportunities about about just the industry, but then things you learned about yourself? I think that's the sort of comparing yourself to someone else that you think their career shines brighter than yours or that they are further ahead than, than you are. I think that's something that people deal with all the time until they learn to come to grips with it and sort of like smash it, just, you know, squash it. Once and for all, I, I don't think, you know, whether you're in New York City or you're in L.A. or Chicago, I think that competitive nature thing and the comparison thing just rears its head no matter what, no matter where you are, or what industry you're in. And I think 
with social media, it becomes even more uh, difficult to navigate that because you're seeing these filtered lives and someone's like, oh, this is fabulous. I'm over here. I'm traveling there. or I'm, I just met this person or I'm doing that. And they're just constantly like not even humble bragging. It's just brag bragging. <laughs> and then you're, you're, you're faced with this on, like, on your phone. It's in your face all the time. So it becomes difficult if you don't sort of nip it in the bud early. And I mean, I think it, everybody sort of falls into that every now and again. But it becomes a problem when it's, that's what your focus is, where you're focusing on this other person's trajectory or you're focusing on this other person's path. And I've been listening to, um, I, I run uh, outdoors all the time. And so when, I, when I'm running, I listen to podcasts because yep. it's the best time to sort of like Absolutely. Have, Absolutely. have that moment to just, you know, zone out a little bit. And um, I've been listening to this podcast. It's new to me. I think it came out around Thanksgiving time. And it's called <laughs> Making Oprah. Mm-hmm. And it's all about behind the scenes of the making of the Oprah Winfrey show. And so they talk to some of the producers and some of the uh, staff, former staffers, and they even talk to Mother O herself. And something that she said, that she has said many times, if you have ever watched her show or read anything that she's written in her magazines, and she talks about this idea of running your own race and running your own horse race specifically because horses when they're running they have blinders on and they are focused on what's in front of them they're not looking over to the side to see who's coming up on them and i think like if you run track too that's something that you have to be aware of like you know you can take that minute that half a second to try to look back and see who's who's on your tail and before you know it you've just lost time you've lost some speed because you took that time to look over your shoulder to see what's going on with the person beside you and I think that is something that you have to deal with early if you don't want it to be constantly a hurdle, this comparison and, and competitive thing. I mean, it's fine to be competitive. I mean, that's what makes people sort of strive for, you know, that thing that's a little bit further than what they would have done before. But I think that it becomes a problem when you are really trying to match yourself up against this person and you are discrediting some of the gains that you've made. So for me, what I had to do is, and I mean, I'm not saying that I don't sometimes fall into that, like, oh, man, look at that person. That person's, like, you know, got this bestseller, and they're touring all over the place. I, sometimes that does happen, but what I've been telling myself more and more often is, you know, if they did it, that just means that you can, too. So instead of, like, you know, what about me? It's like, oh, me, too. I can do that, too. This person, you know, just like you said, timing is everything. You, you can't account for someone's sort of like opportunity, meeting luck, meeting the, great, the right connection. You, ha- you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes to got, that got that person to where they are. So you just have to like focus on your stuff, focus on the work. And if you're a journalist, you know, be the best journalist that you can. Do your reporting. Get your facts right. And all of that, work the craft and focus on the work. And all of those other things that, um, that you have your hopes set on, like, you know, whether it's a book deal or the front page story or writing in the New York Times, all of those things can come your way. They're sometimes a byproduct of focusing on the work and just making sure that you are the, the best reporter, actor, singer, or whatever it is, whatever it is that you're doing, that you are so focused on that that when the opportunity knocks, you are so ready 
that it's going to take off from there. And it, you're not paying attention to what other people are doing. I mean, you can kind of like, you know, you know, look up from your, from your work and say like, oh, that's interesting that that person's doing that. That's something I might want to look into. And that's what you use it. Use it as fuel, you know, use it as creative fuel. No, and I, you ha- I think at one point you have to just bet on yourself. I've right, said that a right. lot. Um, you have to bet on yourself and say that I am doing this because I am good at this and I can be better at this, but I'm going to be focused on the craft and, and not worrying about what other people are achieving or what other people are doing. Do you know what I mean? No, no, absolutely. And, and I think that's, that's the, the, the thing that we all struggle with out there, right? Especially when within this culture and we're like, wow, I'm, I'm doing this and I want to get better. And sometimes it's hard to, to count those wins, as I like to call it, you know, as they're happening because you're just so focused and entrenched and, and you're just like, wow, I want to do this and I want that big story or I want that big <laughs> broadcasting segment, you know, whatever it may be. And not realizing that, hey, a lot of times, and I feel that that's kind of the unfortunate nature to be sometimes that a lot of individuals don't, you know, uh, uh, share some of those. It, it always seems as though, mm. hey, I just stumbled upon and, and, and worked at ESPN, but it might have been that I just so happened to be at the Star- Starbucks on this street, and then I met this person, and then that person connected me there, but I was prepared, you know, so, mm-hmm. but, but I, I definitely agree with you a thousand percent that just focus on the work, and you know, one of my mentors has always told me that there's no substitute for great work. If you do great work, you know, mediocre individuals or people might get a, a random shot. But at the end of the day, when organizations and people value their product and they, they, they value the end result, they want individuals who have great work, who are known to be put their best foot forward and <laughs> produce results. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, a quick, quick, quick segment that I just want to talk about, because you mentioned that as it relates to doing the work, be the best, you know, journalism, get the facts right. So what are your thoughts, though? I'm just curious, since you're definitely, you know, been in industry for a while. What, what is just your thoughts? I mean, everybody has a block, right? Some blogs are <laughs> more satire-ish mm-hmm. and, and some blogs are more concrete and, 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 and true to its core. So. Is that something that you struggle with, knowing that you and, and some other ones in the field, they take the, 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 the field, you know, extremely serious, and then there's others out there, you know, because there's the big debate, right, that's going on just in the world about fake news, right? And mm. how do you filter and navigate what's real news, what's authentic, and what's not? So what, what is mm-hmm. just your thoughts? And then also just words of encouragement to, you know, journalists out there just to stay true to the, the real blueprint of the facts and the, you know, investigative work and in, in, in the storyteller. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, this is a really tough and kind of lumpy time that we are entering. And, I, you know, it's kind of like, who knows what's going to happen next? It almost feels like we're watching a movie. Some of the stuff that's coming out, you're like, is, is this real? Right, <laughs> this right, right, real. right, right. I think, you know, fake news is a, it's problematic. I think we've been seeing this for a while especially with specifically with social media um, and people are wanting to be first rather than being right. And that's been a case for a long time. So there'll be some horrible accident that happened or some, you know, um, some horrible shooting, mass shooting that happens. And uh, reputable news um, providers will be, you know, reporting things that are not necessarily true or have not been verified, 
But the main thing is they want to be the first to have that breaking news and have everybody retweeting what they said. And then they have to go back and correct it. So right, it's right, right, like, right. So it's just become even more difficult right now with this current administration to sort of um, pick through what is true, what is um, sort of um, blown up out of proportion, and what is just downright false and, and, and not even, there's no evidence to support it because it's not true. Right. So it's, it's, it's become more difficult to sort of like figure that out. And I think that we as citizens need to be vigilant about, you know, where is that person? Somebody's posting something on Facebook, which has become a, its own beast. So someone's posting something on Facebook, and it's like, wait a minute, let me just, where, you know, what's your source? You know, and, and just do a little extra step of your own sort of fact-finding or your own sort of journalism in, in terms of just seeing where somebody's getting that information from before you form an opinion or before you react or before you click share. You know, um, just taking the extra step to see, like, hmm, that sounds odd. Let me, let me look at that, you know. I mean, I'm a curious person by nature, but I think that there's some people that are a little bit more comfortable just taking something and swallowing it. Like, okay, they said that, so it must be true. I'm going to just swallow that. I like to chew it up, you know. Right, <laughs> like, wait right, a minute, right, wait right. a minute. Let me just see. That sounds weird. That sounds weird. Or that doesn't sound right. What's making it more complicated is that with this current administration, some of the stuff that's coming out, you're like, that sounds crazy. And it's true. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's become hard, harder and more difficult to say, like, oh, that sounds made up. Because some of the, the true things sound made up, but they are actually true. So I think we just have to be really um, serious and vigilant about where we're getting our information from, diversify, like make sure you're mixing it up. Don't get the same news from Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. You know, look around. There are a lot of independent news um, sources that you can start, look, you know, subscribing to or checking out what they are, you're getting a newsletter. And just, you know, sp spreading around, spreading out how you get your news and mixing it up. And before you um, share that piece, just take the extra step to make sure, let me check the source. And if you go on the site and it looks a little dodgy, don't share that story. You know what I mean? Like, do your part to, to keep the quote-unquote fake news at bay. No, absolutely. And I, I think it's funny. And I think that's just from, from investigative research and just knowing just how, you know, the, the, the monetary and, and the uh, economics work behind a lot of these stories. You know, a lot of times people just see a, you know, um, a headline and they're like, oh, I'm sharing this. This is real. It's like, did you click on it? Did you did you click on it? Now I'm on Facebook thinking that this is whatever. And you didn't even read the story. Uh, you just shared, you know, so I think uh, I think that's just phenomenal, phenomenal advice just for individuals to see because we are living in interesting times right now, Nicole. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it has to be frustrating for individuals like yourself and others that are, are true to it and uh, realizing it's kind of like why we were really in this culture of. You know, I think the the great Denzel Washington, he said it. I'm pretty sure you heard his his remarks. He yes, said, yes. You know, right? So if you, you don't read, you're, you're, you're uninformed. If you do read, you're misinformed. And it's like, mm -hmm. wow, 
that's that's a pretty powerful sentiment right now, you know. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, as we just try to, as a society, you know, try to in, engage each other in ways and, and, and inform each other in other ways, but then also not start the controversy that continues to happen. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, definitely kudos, kudos to you and just just the work that you're doing. So I know we're here. We talk about a little bit. We if it's okay with you talk about this new book that you mm-hmm. that 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 we the the, um, the thunder beneath us. What inspired it? What it's a little bit about mm-hmm. uh, uh, talk to us a little bit Nicole well the book is about um, this young woman who is living in New York City and she is a top uh, magazine writer at this women's fashion magazine it's an international style magazine so she is a star there and she's living this very charmed seemingly flawless life uh, you know dating an up-and-coming actor she's at all the you know all the spots that you need to be in New York City, she's just doing well for herself, or so it seems. She has a um, secret from her past, a tragic childhood accident that uh, she buried a long time ago that is threatening to bubble up from underneath and ruin everything that she has created for herself since. So that's the story. Um, and it is, it's interesting that we're talking about, like, you know, um, competitiveness and... Uh, you know, trying to uh, navigate your your own path in a place like New York City. So this is kind of dipped into that. Um, she and I, her the main character's name is Best Lightburn, and she and I have there's some overlap there, but it's not at all a, like a thinly veiled <laughs> memoir. <laughs> oh, it's not right, my right. story, <laughs> but I mean, uh, there's some there's some overlap there. She also is Canadian living in New York. She is living in Brooklyn. I lived in Brooklyn. She is a magazine writer. I was magazine editor. So, I mean, there's some overlap in terms of some commonalities, but it's definitely her story and it's definitely a made-up story. So (laughs) I did take some, you know, character traits and some quirks from people I've met in real life or that I've experienced or a friend of mine has told me about that they've experienced people or situations, and I, you know, kind of roll them together and, uh, you know, kind of Frankenstein something else brand new out of it. Not necessarily like this is not an exact <laughs> copy of the person who is true in real life. Right, right, right. So, um, so this, the book uh, came about because um, th- I was reading a magazine story, like maybe probably eight, eight years ago now, about this family of brothers, uh, three brothers. They were in their 30s at the time, and they had this family tradition at Christmas where they would go out ice fishing. And this one Christmas, they um, went out, and they had the family dog with them. And unfortunately, there was a patch of ice or a section of the ice that was not frozen solid, and the dog went through the ice. And in an effort to save the dog, all three brothers went in, but only one survived. Oh, wow. So... That story just stuck with me because I thought, like, goodness, what would it be like to walk around with that kind of uh, survivor's remorse or that sort of guilt and the, the number of what-ifs that run through your mind on a daily basis and, and how that kind of accident or incident could change how you move through the world moving forward or how you view yourself, too. So I kept thinking about it and thinking about it, and I started to roll it into a, a story on its own. And I started thinking, like, what would happen? You know, these guys, these, these brothers were in there. They were adults. But what would happen if something tragic happened to someone who was just a teenager, just 17, when they are so unsure of themselves as is, and then they have this very horrible thing happen to them, 
that changes how they move through the world. So that's where the story sort of started, and then I just went from built it from there. Wow! Wow! I'm, I'm, wow! That's uh, definitely kudos to you. I mean, I see the brainchild behind it. Uh, you know, and I think a lot of listeners are, you know, still a little bit from what inspired it. You know, the story. Yeah. Wow, that's a powerful story. And I mean, but just <laughs> for it to stick with you for so long. So, what took between that gap, though? And I think a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, between the inception of something, it could have been timing, right? But mm-hmm. you, you, you see this eight years ago, and mm-hmm. then it comes out last year. Like, what, what, what mm-hmm. was that? What was that process like? Was it timing? Yeah. It wasn't fully de- like you know. Yeah. Well, I think you know writing a writing a story of length takes time because, I mean, you're just – I mean, I was working and writing this thing on the side. I don't like to say on the side because it makes it seem like it's sort of like a little hobby. <laughs> and it right, was not right, that. Right. It was not a hobby. So I was writing this book while working as well. I'm glad you said it took time, though, because I feel like a yeah. lot of people think they could write a book, you know, a best-selling novel in a week. So Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, you could write something – that you, you know, you could write, pick a week and write something, you know, 300 pages, but good luck. At, I, I doubt that it's going to be really yeah. <laughs> ready, ready to go. <laughs> so it just takes time. There's a process to it. And um, some writers take really long to, to write a, a, a new book. So I wrote this book and then I was just, you know, going through it again and taking another pass, taking another pass, another draft. And I started to um, send it out to query uh, agents with it to see if they would represent me in, in, in selling this book to a publisher. And um, I kept getting no's, nice no's and instructive no's where they would, you know, sort of hint at something that was maybe not working for them. Mm-hmm. And I would go back and, and you know, refix, re- retool it and try to change it. So then I decided to do a, re- a complete revision of the whole story instead of just, you know, little parts and pieces. And so a revise is like a slugfest because you are doing away with things that you were once so, you know, like married to. Mm-hmm. And you're, as they say, killing your darlings. And you're sometimes having to get rid of an entire character or an entire story arc or some scene that you were really so, that you before felt was so important. And now you're scrapping it. So I went through and did a complete revise. And I had an author friend of mine, Colleen, she offered to read pages for me, which was, like, invaluable for her to, to do this. So I'm writing these chapters and revising them and, like, complete, like, an overhaul of the, of the whole story. So she would read chapters, send notes, and I, you know, fix this, fix that. And then when it was finally finished, I sent it to an agent, and they said yes to it. So I think what, what took the time was the, the writing of it and then the reworking of it and just shaping it, you know, working on the craft, paying attention to the work of it. And then book publishing <laughs> moves at a glacial pace mm-hmm. anyway. So you'll get a book deal, uh, you know, January of 2015, or something, and then your book doesn't come out until like two years later or something. So that whole process should be, you know, factored into. I think people think there are only certain books that uh, kind of get like a quick turnaround. 
and they're usually like a celebrity biography or something that's very, very newsworthy and current and hot, hot topic, right, right. where something gets turned around very quickly. But for the most part, especially with fiction, it's a longer process. Um, so, you know, it goes through the editor, it goes through the editing process and the copy edit, and then it gets pub- printed, and then all of that stuff. So there's a whole, like, year or more that goes into getting a book from the um, finished manuscript to an actual in-your-hand printed book. So th- those are some of the years that I could, get, I could, I could subtract some of those years to my whole tally, that uh, the, the editing process or the book publishing process took some time. Wow. Wow. That's uh, and I think that's interesting where a lot of individuals, one, probably don't know the, the, the whole process of even. Uh, uh, um, I don't know if you can talk a little bit about that, but mm-hmm. just what is the process of, you know, trying to say, you know what, this is the thunder beneath us. I, I just a great idea. Is it because also you are establishing the game and I mean, you're you're you have built up connections, but just say someone that that's a novice that has a a great a great idea, you know, <laughs> great writer and says, you know what, I want to go to a, do I contact them blindly? Do I show up? Is there a pro- mm-hmm. certain process to even getting, even if it's on a smaller scale, like sure. to, to, what's that process like? Well, it depends if you're writing fiction or nonfiction. Mm-hmm. With fiction, you have to write the whole book. The whole book has to be finished. So you can't approach an agent with three chapters because they want to know how it goes, at the end, but more than that, they want to see that you can sustain a story and tell it well, and the writing holds up through the whole 350 or 400 or 500 pages. Right, right. So that's one thing that I think a lot of people are somewhat disappointed about hearing, that if you're pitching a fiction book, if you're pitching a novel, you have to have the whole manuscript finished before you should submit, and finished and polished. So that's one thing that takes some time in getting it to that level that you can start submitting it to agents, querying them to see if they would represent you. For nonfiction, what you need to do is put together a book proposal, and that is like a business plan. Mm -hmm. So that involves a lot more research and some writing, but you're not writing the whole book. You're doing things like you're doing um, sort of like market analysis. So you're looking at – what other competing titles are out there that are kind of in the that would be a, a sort of like the same topic of or the same arena that your book is is in you're looking at um you're giving a full chapter breakdown of which what each chapter is going to be about and you're you know writing up a little blurb about each you're giving sample chapters you're doing um like you're doing you're looking at the audience and saying like which audience is this going to appeal to and why? So you're getting into sort of like the nitty-gritty of how this book is going to get sold and how it's going to do well. You're talking about your author's platform, like what kind of um, reach do you have? Do you have an audience already that's willing to ride with you on this book? So there's a lot that goes into a book proposal, and book proposals are sometimes like 60, 70, 80, 100 pages. So it's really involved, it's like I said, writing a business plan for your book. And... um, that is also daunting for a lot of people, but there's so many resources out there that will take you through step by step. Here's what you need to have in your book proposal, and here's how you do it. So there are a lot of resources that you can find. I can, uh, you know, there are lots of books out there that will help you put your book proposal together. So once you have either your manuscript for fiction or your book proposal for nonfiction 
polished and ready. And when I say polished, I mean no typos, no sort of like, I was thinking about it, I'm not sure. You have to be solid about it. And so when you have these documents ready to go, what's involved next is uh, getting an agent. There's some people who get books published without an agent, but it's not, it's, it's kind of rare. A lot of publishers don't communicate with writers directly. They go through agents. So you need that representative who's going to advocate for you and who's, you know, has their own relationships with editors and publishers at different houses. So you query, you send a query letter to agents. And how you find an agent that would be interested in you is also research. I mean, getting a book to the, getting the book to the right hands, it just involves a lot of really good research. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of books out there. I think um, Writer's Digest puts out one every year. It's like a, it's like a phone book almost, where they'll have like, you know, 2017 Literary Agents Guide. So they'll have a bunch, like it's a, all these agents listed, and they will say, um, you know, Susie Smith, again, we're using Susie. Susie Smith, um, she uh, is at um, Susie Smith Literary Agency. Here are the types of genres that she's interested in. Here's what she's not interested in. Here's how the best way to contact her. Because some agents like email, some do not like email. Most, most of them like email these days. And here's what they are looking for. They want the first three chapters. They want the synopsis. So you have to just do your research making sure that you are sending the book to the right person. Because the worst thing to do is to send your science fiction novel to someone who is doing uh, romance novels only. Because you wasted your time and potentially their time as well. So you, get an, you query an agent and um, you send them, for fiction, you send them usually uh, the first 50 pages or first three chapters of your book in, as well as a full synopsis. And the synopsis tells the entire story, including the ending, so that they can see what happens in the story. There's no sort of mystery. Then if they say, oh, I like what I've seen so far, they can request that you send them the full manuscript. That's why it's important to have the full finished manuscript at the ready because the worst thing, again, is to have an agent interested in what you've sent them and they say, okay, I want to see the full, meaning the full manuscript, and you're like, well, it's not finished yet. You've lost them. Right, <laughs> you know right, what I mean? You've right, lost them. Right. And potentially you may have you know, lost some other people, because, you know, your name might, someone might say, oh, yeah, I remember that, Susie Smith. She sent me this unfinished, you know, and you don't want to be that person that name's getting sort of, you know, black marked. So um, after, if an agent says yes to you and you sign on with their agency, they then represent you and they go to all the different publishing houses and editors that they have relationships with to see if they are interested in buying your book. So then if you get an, uh, like, let's say Penguin says, yes, we are going to, we like this book, we want to buy it, here's the book deal, and it'll be, um, we're going to buy this book for this much, and you'll get, I don't know, like, let's suppose they say, we're going to buy this book for $100,000. Um, then you'll get a certain amount of an advance, and then you have to, then go into the process. If you're doing a nonfiction book, you have to actually write the book at that point. And then if you're doing a fiction project, you are going to be working with the editor at that publishing house to 
you know, they might you know, ask for some changes, they might do some more shifts and all of that. So it's still a process, even though you're, you've got the book deal and you've got this person's, you know, in your corner, it still might mean you going back and reworking some of the things in, in the manuscript. So then finally, I know this is a long process, and then finally, when it's been through the editor's notes and you guys are, are all set and it's moved on to copy editing and making sure that all T's are crossed and there are no typos or there's no weird things that don't track in there, um, they send you the copy edited version, you the writer, you take a, a last pass at it. There's nothing that you can do. If, if you wanted to change the name of somebody or if you want to change something that happens in the action, you can't. The only thing that can happen at that point is if there's some glaring, huge mistake, like, you know, some factual thing that is just not correct. That's the only time that you can say, like, red flag, let's change this. So at the copy editing version uh, period, uh, stage of things, you're just taking a last look. Then it goes out to print, and then there's a whole process, a production schedule there where it goes through different phases because there's the book cover art. and So there's just like process after process of getting a book from the idea to in somebody's hands as an actual book. It's a long process, and I think a lot of people are uh, somewhat – not disappointed or discouraged, but uh, a little bit taken aback by how slow some of those things can, can go. Because, I mean, you have all these different departments and all these different pieces of the wheel sort of trying to work together that sometimes you'll be, like, kind of chomping at the bit, like, am I going to get this thing? Is it coming? Is it coming? And you're just waiting for this department to wait for that department to wait for that department. So it just takes a long time, and it's a process. But I think most writers, especially debut writers, they're just so thrilled that the, the thing is actually going to be out there. So they sort of contend with the, the slowness and they contend with the, the molasses part of, of things because at the end of the day, my book's getting it is going to be published. So that's the exciting that's thing that keeps, the, them, right. you know, keeps them floating <laughs> along through the long process. Wow, that is definitely. But to the to the journalists out there, to the future novelists and, and, and authors, listen, don't let that full process, you know, intimidate you. But it, it is to remind you, though, that it is a process. School is a process. Everything that we're engaged in is a process. It is a process. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, so for that sense of time, I definitely appreciate you calling in, Nicole. This has definitely been informative. You have definitely <gasps> have done a lot and you are doing well, a lot. Well, I hope I didn't. <laughs> dissuade anyone like oh my gosh that process sounds horrible i don't want to do that no no but i mean i think i think it just gives some some reality that this is not something that oftentimes society says that oh anybody you know now with social media you know can be insta famous or anybody can do this it's like no whether it's it's media this is still a process and it's still a competitive field out there and and, and individuals still want great work you know so Mm -hmm. um are, are there any thoughts or last thoughts or things? Um, we're definitely going to have you back because there's so many people. <laughs> my 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 uh, uh, WhatsApp group, which is some of some of the student journalists I have on campus, is is uh, just um, they're like, wow, this is exciting. It's so oh, it, well, cool. yeah. So I guess for one thing, is there any like last thoughts? And then I'll ask you to throw out your your uh, any any way that people can can uh, reach you. Uh, yeah. So just any last thoughts for the listeners out there. Mm-hmm. I would say um, I get asked often, you know, what advice do I have for people who are aspiring or who want to write books or who want to um, be a journalist? 
And I think uh, it's the same advice I've been giving for a little bit, and the same advice I've given myself in my own little, you know, <laughs> pep talks. It would be three things. One is um, you have to read. You have to read. I mean, I know that it's there's so much going on in this world right now, and there's so many, like, links and read this and look at that and watch this. There's so much thing, There's so much that's competing for our attention, but it is crucial for a writer to read books and reading, like, very – like, you know, just – if you're an, interested in science fiction, don't just read science fiction. Read everything. Read a, a varied amount of things and also making sure that you're reading – you know, different quality, some things that are not so great, some things that are just stellar, and just reading is so key to writing. That is one. Two, I would say, write. And that sounds simple, but there's so many things, again, competing for our attention, and there's so many ways to sort of procrastinate and not sit in the chair and write. But make sure that you know, no matter how busy your life is and no matter, no matter how many things are sort of layered on top of how many things you're juggling, carve out the time, make it a priority, carve out the time. Maybe you have to wake up, you know, an hour earlier when it's, oh, dark 30 outside, you're sitting down at your desk and you're writing. Carve out maybe 20 minutes every day that you are focusing on the craft of writing because that's the only way that you can exercise that muscle is by using it. You can't be a writer if you're not writing. And the third thing I would say is find work at finding your authentic voice and use that to tell the stories that you want to hear or the stories you want to read. Don't try to emulate, you know, J.K. Rowling or this blogger or whoever who's out there and who's doing really well because that's their voice and that's why they are successful because they've found their authentic true voice. You've got to find your voice and use that to tell the stories instead of, you know, just copying somebody else's style or copying what you think is hitting right now or what people are, you know, buying or flocking to. That is not going to help you at all. I think once you find your voice and you like we said before work work the craft uh, of whatever it is that you're doing, all those other things start to come to you. You know, they, they're byproducts. They come to you. The book deals, the, the plum assignments, the audience, the followers, all that stuff starts coming to you because they're coming for your voice and they're coming for the stellar work. So I think those are the three things that I would tell anybody who is looking to start writing more in a serious way or they're trying to get deeper into journalism those are the three things I think that would help would help you if I could just be so humbly you know offer up a little bit of advice definitely definitely well Nicole we definitely appreciate you for calling in definitely going to have you back for sure in the future so you're definitely a friend to the studio so anytime oh, thank you. you have something promotional mm-hmm. and uh, just to the listeners out there uh, we definitely will be having this uploaded on iTunes the Motivational Jumpstart uh, podcast on iTunes is available so definitely uh, download subscribe and this uh, episode will definitely definitely uh, be on there pretty soon uh, Nicole really quick because I have to wrap up for the next show uh, that's that's on after me what is mm-hmm. your contact information i'll be sure to sure. share that as well it's um my website's nicoleblades.com and on twitter i am uh, at nicoleblades 
and Facebook, it's Writer Nicole Blades. And on Instagram, my favorite, I am Nicole underscore Blades. So that's where you can find me. And you can find The Thunder Beneath Us at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and anywhere that books are sold. Absolutely. Well, Nicole, I definitely appreciate you for calling in. And to the listeners out there, continue to be great. Continue to inspire yourself, inspire generation. And for the motivational jumpstart, we are out.